This is an ABC podcast. Hey, welcome to Science Friction. Natasha Mitchell, really excited to be with you for this episode because did you know that the first computers didn't have circuit boards or even cogs and gears? They had hearts and heads and arms and legs. They were human. In fact, many of them were women and were part of a world that women hadn't been allowed to enter before. They weren't sure what to call these women. In some ways, many of them were employed along the lines of clerical assistants, but they needed to have different types of attributes. There was a huge workforce involved with this, often in insurance companies, throughout the public service. The universities would have perhaps computers or women doing calculations for research projects. Computers or women, yes, it wasn't one or the other. They were the same thing. I'm sort of shocked when I think of all the distinguished people who wrote textbooks of statistics, quoting lots of data, data which had been provided for them by a team of dedicated women working hard with calculators. That whole era was almost forgotten for quite a few decades. They were mentioned as, oh yes, we did have female computers. But there wasn't much work done to pick out individuals or the detail of the work. So I I don't quite get this idea that computing is a man's game. Doesn't need to be. Not the least because females were the computers once. Today on the show, we are looking to the stars to find a hidden story, not about the birth of the universe, but the birth of computing and the Australian women whose stories were left untold. This is the story of human computers. We work from morn till night, for computing is our duty. This is historian Dr Tona Stevenson from the University of Sydney. She's reading a play that is believed to have been written by a 19th century astronomer called Wilhelmina Fleming. We're faithful and polite, and our record books a beauty. With Krell and Gauss, Chauvenet and Pierce, we labour hard all day. We add, subtract, multiply and divide, but never have time to play. (laughs) Wilhelmina Fleming worked at the Harvard College Observatory in Massachusetts and she helped design the system that we use to catalogue stars. And in that play, she says, computing is our duty. Our reporter for this episode and next is Carl Smith. Back on the show, what does she mean by that comment, Carl? What do you reckon? Hey, Natasha. Well, in the late 1800s, before computers as we know them existed, Fleming and several other women worked with a Harvard professor named Edward Charles Pickering. And the women, they themselves were known as computers. In fact, they were called the Harvard computers. And what what did they get up to? Okay, so photography had just begun to be used in astronomy to snap pictures of the stars onto glass plates. And this let astronomers see faint stars that were previously invisible to them and measure things like relative brightness. The human computers at Harvard used those photos to make calculations, for example, of where stars are or how bright they are. Not only were they measuring stars... They were then doing the calculations or computations of the position of those stars. 
That's where the name computer came from. It was gruelling, repetitive and complex work, and there was a lot of new astronomical data to compute. Men had previously done these jobs, but women were cheaper to hire. Wilhelmina Fleming was a highly intelligent woman working in Boston, and she was employed by Pickering. First of all, as just a sort of general hand cleaner, more like a maid than anything else. However, because she showed such intelligence, he started to give her work in astronomy using glass plates, these photographic plates. And she eventually headed up a bureau of 12 other women. And they did a lot of amazing analytical work that gave new perspectives on astronomy, certainly about the distance of stars. One of the women, Henrietta Swan-Levitt, discovered cephids, which are very fundamental in working out the scale of our universe. Levitt found that these stars pulsate, brightening, then dimming, in a periodic way. And this can be used to infer how far away they are. They become something like a cosmic yardstick for astronomers. So these were women who actually progressed into science. Now, at this time, there are two striking contrasts for women working as computers in astronomy. A few of them, like Wilhelmina Fleming, became noted astronomers, welcomed into the scientific community as women allowed to do analytical work, to publish research under their own names. But others, including at least 72 women here in Australia, were largely forgotten. They were seen as labourers and their work went mostly uncredited. Which is why Tona Stevenson, former manager of the Sydney Observatory, decided to dive into a PhD to learn more about these women and examine their contribution to science and astronomy. Their story begins in Paris in 1887 with the birth of a project called the Carte du Ciel. The Carte du Ciel was a chart of the sky, but a chart in a way that had not been done before. The idea was to take photographic glass plates of the celestial sphere from every part of our planet. Nothing of this enormity had ever been undertaken. The team also planned to create an astrographic catalogue, a logbook filled with the precise location of every star that could be seen in the photographic plates. Now, this was a mammoth project. It was really one of the first truly international projects in science. But essentially what it did was it took the power away from the astronomer who looked through the telescope and made decisions using the astronomer's eye about the size of the star, the brightness of the star and the position of the star. And the power went to the person who was measuring the photographs. And often that was women in this project. That's right. The field of astronomy, then dominated by men like most sciences at the time, turned to women to compute the location of every visible star. A trial was made in Paris Observatory by Dorothea Klumpke, who became the first woman to have a PhD in mathematics and astronomy. And her task was to 
assemble a measuring bureau. And the decision was made that there would be women in this measuring bureau. After the success of this trial, observatories were set up around the world. In Australia, Sydney, Melbourne and eventually Perth each had their own observatory. And teams of women computers were recruited to begin cataloguing the stars in different parts of the night sky. They would work in pairs. So the first employment was 1898 and it was to employ six women, three pairs, to work together. One working at a measuring machine called a micrometer, the other sitting next to her and taking down the measurements. They were well-educated women. They had matriculated, usually with geometry or mathematics. They knew about logarithms and could apply them. They'd had to pass a test and they had a six-month training schedule that they had to get through and prove themselves. So it was not a rudimentary job by any means. In Australia alone, they catalogued somewhere around one million unique stars using these techniques. And many of these were double-checked multiple times. The Australian contingent, we did about 18% of the sky. But not only that, in Australia, we had the most star-dense region. So it was a huge endeavour. And the project didn't stop once you'd taken down the measurements and estimated the magnitude or brightness of stars. The next step was about the calculations because the whole set of catalogues taken from these up to 22 observatories from around the world had to be published in exactly the same way. These records became unofficially known as the ladies' log. That's a baseline that we actually didn't have for the whole celestial sphere before. And it's been used as the basis for more modern and advanced surveys of stars in our universe, where they are, how far away they are, whether they're moving. It's being used to position satellites and satellite telescopes, such as the Hipparchus Telescope, the Kepler telescope and the Gaia telescope, which has gone up most recently. These are the modern space-based telescopes that have been mapping our galaxy, our universe, and searching for planets around those distant stars. So, Carl, at this point, I am so curious to know more about some of these 72 Australian women who charted the stars. What do we know about their lives? Well, that's what Tona Stevenson set out to do in her PhD. She tried to dig up all she could about the ladies who filled in the ladies' log. One of the most significant women in Perth was Prudence Valentine Williams. She started work at 15 in the observatory. She became well known for her thoroughness and her capability, and she ended up running the bureau there. She was also very sure of their rights as women. And she wrote many letters to the government astronomer outlining issues that some of the women were having, issues such as access to toilets, but most significantly some bullying that was going on with one of the assistant astronomers leering at them while they were working. So uh, she was very much ahead of her time. Another woman in Melbourne, Muriel Heaney, ended up being the champion 
for equal rights for women, certainly as much as pay is concerned. And whilst she only worked at Melbourne Observatory for about four years, her ability with numbers and statistics carried right through her life and it was one of the ways that she put forward cases for women to be paid the same amount as men. And then there was Mary Emma Greyer, who came to astronomy through love, and not just her love of science. She was an amateur astronomer, very interested in science, and her sister was actually having a romance with the assistant government astronomer which is lovely in itself. So she would be accompanying her sister to Adelaide Observatory many, many times. And she was employed in 1890 to work on positional stars for the astrographic catalogue, which other stars were measured from and which were used to identify regions. And so Adelaide Observatory did accept this mission on the basis that they employed Mary Emma Greyer, and then she did 100% of all the calculations. So given it was a male-dominated field at a male-dominated time, why did the astrographic record turn to women for this work? It was seen that women would be consistent, that they would turn up to work at the same time, they would put themselves to the work in the same way. The women had to be very precise. And also it was fiddly work. It also required not putting any of your own opinion into the work. And it was thought that women could easily work without having an opinion. <laughs> that kills me, Carl. Just just hold me back from having opinions now. Yeah, well, I think these women had their opinions too and they just wanted some satisfying work because what other type of work was available to them? I mean, teaching was considered a very good career for a woman, but most women, if they were employed, were employed as domestics. Well, women were viewed as being able to cope with very repetitive work that wasn't particularly interesting, but they could complete it efficiently. Barbara Ainsworth is a historian and curator at the Museum of Computing History at Monash University. They were women who were employed at quite young ages and with mathematical ability. And of course, the big factor in employing women at this stage was they were paid considerably less than a man in the same position and had a less reliable career path because you could not continue in the federal public service if you got married. It was tough being a woman. You only got, you know, 54% of the wage of a man doing equivalent work and you had no permanency. And there are plenty of examples of women computers working on the astrographic catalogue, being forced out of these public service jobs after they got married. Charlotte Emily Fort Peel, she in fact is the only woman who I found who was permanently employed on this project for the first few decades. She not only helped the other women, taught them what to do. She also calibrated the instruments that they used. And she eventually left Melbourne Observatory. She married the librarian at the observatory. And they went off and had children. And 
I have not found any evidence of her doing work of this type afterwards. It, it, this is a very common story and there's some really terrible instances of this. Ruby Payne Scott, who worked with CSIR, which became CSIRO, she was one of the first radio astronomers highly experienced and capable scientist who had to hide her marriage, which she did successfully for a few years, but then eventually had to leave. Ruby Payne Scott's story is incredible to read. Seek it out if you haven't heard of her before. Right, so Carl, these women were doing necessary and meticulous work. Were they recognised for any of it? Well, this is where the story of the Australian women computers for the astrographic catalogue diverges from the story of Wilhelmina Fleming and the other Harvard computers who worked under Edward Pickering. Edward Pickering started to put their names on the papers that were published because it was their research. In Australia, none of the women I found from Sydney Observatory published papers. One of the women... From Melbourne, Charlotte Emily Ford Peel, her name appears on a calculations and observations for a comet. That is the only evidence that I have found so far of the 72 women who worked in this field. 72 women working tirelessly to map the stars, to build a catalogue that's since helped us understand the cosmos. And just one of their names is on a scientific paper. There was media interest, and the media interest was in them as women working in a man's world. The media weren't really interested in what they were doing and what attributes they brought. The astronomers had great respect for the women. They realised it was hard work, and they did keep lists of most of the women that worked on the project, which ended up in the catalogue. And in fact, when you know how to decipher the initials, you can look up who measured every single star. The evidence is there when you look for it, which is pretty much the case, as I've found, with most women's work. It's just that, in a funny way, history didn't give the work of women much regard. The work of the astrographic catalogue's human computers was seen at the time as simply number crunching, not interpreting and hypothesising about the world they were measuring. But Tona Stevenson says that, again, if you look a little closer, that's simply not the case. There's no doubt that some of them were doing analytical science. They were noticing things such as double stars and was a star on this plate And then where was it or was it as bright on the second plate? So these variations in stars, there was evidence of that in their logbooks. These Australian women just weren't given the opportunity to share their analysis, unlike the Harvard computers in the Northern Hemisphere. I do find it surprising, but then what other areas aren't women being given acknowledgement in And I think it's that it's only recently, you know, since we've become a lot more aware of how history has been very gender specific, that we've started to look. 
exciting part of that is there's still a lot more to discover. And I believe that the 72 women, that they are just an example and that we'll find the same situation when we look at other fields. And given the rich depth with women in computing right back to acting as the computers themselves, do you have any advice or optimistic kind of viewpoint to share with young women today who are perhaps looking at a career in STEM or computing? I mean, I guess the obvious thing is to look up at the night sky and look at the stars and think that women were the ones who computed those locations. That's a very nice idea. You know, when we look at women in astronomy, there's still only somewhere between 22 to 27% of all astronomers are female. So there's still work to be done. But Australia's making some great inroads there. My advice would be publish, publish, publish and own your work, work in teams, but don't let your name be hidden. We have lost a lot of potential. If they had been able to stay on and they had been given a career path, what more might have been discovered? Beyond astronomy, Australia's women computers started entering other fields in the 20th century. Barbara Ainsworth from the Museum of Computing History at Monash says there are plenty of examples of them crunching data that was then used in science or statistics, economics, meteorology, accounting, logistics, and their work often underpinned big projects. The women at the weapons research establishment in South Australia that was working on rocket and missile developments at Woomera. They were using camera equipment that would follow the missile once it was launched and then calculate all of the trajectory from this recording. And there were probably about 40 women employed in the 1950s in this role at Salisbury. They were an essential component. They were very accurate, very competent, and it laid the base for all the information that could be then worked on. And eventually, things began to change for women in computing. Some moved beyond these jobs as human number crunches into more celebrated and senior roles. My name's Alison Harcourt. I was born Alison Doig, and I always loved maths. And I just took to statistics. It was clearly the subject that I liked very much. At 89 years old, Alison Harcourt is the 2019 Senior Victorian Australian of the Year. She's a pioneer in a branch of statistics known as optimization. She studied maths and physics at the University of Melbourne in the late 1940s and early 50s. And like those early human computers, she learned to run sums on simple computing machines like mechanical calculators and slide rules. We had handheld machines where you turned a handle and and as you turned the handle, you were able to get, say, the square of something or the cube of something. But by this time, she wasn't limited to doing repetitive calculations for someone else to analyse. She was compelled to step in and lead the maths herself. She travelled to London and, along with another woman, Elsa Land, came up with a new statistical process. It takes a big problem involving a large set of data to come up with the most efficient solution. The official name for this process is integer linear programming, but it's sometimes called branch and bound. When they published their work, it made a splash around the world. It can apply in so many techniques and in many, many fields. In terms of shipping, 
and scheduling. Subsequently, they found that it also became of use to people who were doing a lot of biochemistry and study of genomes. The applications have been tremendous. Alison Harcourt was among the first women trained to compute sums, but who then also exploited those skills to break into scientific research. But even into the 50s and 60s, that was still largely seen as a man's game. So did Alison have any female peers here in Australia? Pretty well none. The particular course for which I enrolled was an honours course, and there were only from memory, about 24 students. 22 were men. One was a girl, and then there was me. The two women did not make any progress with friendships at all, except that I became a good friend of hers and she was a good friend of mine. I love that. And Alison Harcourt's story of computing doesn't end there. Next week, you'll hear about Australia's first digital computers and meet the women whose careers were shaped by them, including Alison's. You have collected some absolutely classic conversations for that episode, Carl. And the thing is, for a time there, the number of Australian women in computer science was on the rise. And then the numbers crashed from the 1970s and 80s. Something really strange happened and we're going to find out more about that. Catch you then, Carl. Thanks to Carl Smith. Talk to us on Twitter at Natasha Mitchell and at Carl3Smith or email us from the Science Friction website. Cheers. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.